0: Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God Good morning. To, to those of you here, I can see, and those I cannot see. The passage that we just read from Colossians is just one of many similar passages in the New Testament, which mentions the importance of the quality of patient endurance, which is what I'd like to speak to you about this morning, and I should say speak to all of us, and perhaps myself particularly, Uh, I freely confess that during the craziness that's been going on in this world, I've had a hard time in trying to have the right attitude, and I suspect I'm not the only one. The recorded history of the world, of course, is full of plagues and pestilence of wars, brutality, and natural disasters of many kinds. While it is true that we've not faced a plague like the coronavirus since the Spanish flu 100 years ago, This is really just another type of trial. And so are the many other things which are going on in our country at this time. We've considered before that God causes these things for specific reasons. And that as far as we as people are concerned, they are tests. God continually tests and tries our faith. We see repeatedly throughout the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, that God is seeking to develop certain character traits in his children. He has a method and a purpose for doing this. And if we look carefully at what the apostles in particular tell us about this, we see that one of the most essential character traits which God wants to form in us is this trait of patient endurance. Without getting into an analysis of Greek words, it would, I think, be accurate to say that the English translators have used three different words to convey similar ideas. The meanings are not exactly the same, but they are similar. And those three words are steadfastness, perseverance, and endurance. We want to consider today why this is so important to God, that he would test us and try us in the ways that he does. There are three passages which come to mind in which the apostles give us something of a progression of the development of character. And all of them speak of this concept of patient endurance. First, let's take a look at James chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. There, the apostle James says the following, The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, steadfastness or perseverance or patient endurance is formed by going through trials. That is to say, when something hard happens, we have a choice to make. We can rant and rave and curse and blame God or other people. We can be stoic or fatalistic. We can speak of the survival of the fittest. Or we can despair. Or we can choose to believe God. If we choose to believe God, then this will tend to form in us this quality of patient endurance. Then, according to James, there is something of a second choice to be made. We may grit our teeth and clench our fists and just endure. And I don't mind saying there have been times in my life when it felt like that was exactly what I was doing. Or we can choose to do what James says let steadfastness have its full effect. And how do we do that? We do it, I suggest, by taking down our defenses. We do it by faith and an openness to the work of the Holy Spirit within us. We must have an attitude of, okay, God, my arms are open wide. Use this in me to your glory, however you would choose. If we choose to let steadfastness have its full effect, then James tells us, that we will become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now that's certainly an amazing statement, isn't it? Perfection, completeness, lacking in nothing? I think what James is saying here is that we will be complete in the sense of having what God considers to be necessary, not what we think is necessary. And perfection in God's eyes is having a pure and full faith. The peace... And joy and hope, which we find in Jesus, is what enables us to have patient endurance, but it's also true that patient endurance produces the faith of excuse me the fruit of peace, joy, and hope. A second passage to take a quick look at is from the fifth chapter of the book of Romans, verses three to five. There we read the following: We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame so the Apostle Paul is giving us a four-point progression suffering he says produces endurance there is that word again and endurance produces character and character produces hope now just like James Paul tells us that suffering produces endurance or steadfastness or perseverance. And just like James, he tells us to rejoice in this. Do you see that it takes a great deal of faith to do that? So if we choose to trust God and rejoice despite going through difficult times, that is what is going to produce endurance and a strengthened faith. Then Paul tells us that patient endurance itself produces character. In other words, he's saying that God cares very much about developing our character and making it into the character that he wants it to be. And that is why he is doing many of the things that he is doing. And then Paul says that the development of character enables us to have hope. Now, hope, as used in Scripture, does not mean wishing for something the way the word is commonly used in our culture today. In scripture, the word hope means a certain expectation or a joyful anticipation. So you see, it's a completely different concept than the way the word hope is commonly used today. It means that we take joy in the anticipation of our glorious inheritance. Then the last of the three progression passages is the longest. We find it in the second, in the book of Second Peter. Chapter 1, verses 5 to 6. There we hear this. The Apostle Peter says, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Having said that, Peter tells us in verse 8 that if we have these qualities and if they are increasing in us then they will keep us from being ineffective and unfruitful. Or to state it differently having these qualities will make us effective and fruitful. And having said that he says in verse 10 that if we are diligent to practice these eight qualities that we will never fall. So, it is a useful discipline, I think, to focus on these qualities and to seek to develop them. Here they are again faith, virtue, knowledge, self control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Now, note that Peter, unlike James and Paul, is not specifically saying that each one of these leads necessarily to another, but he is saying, that all of these eight things are things that he is telling us we need to do. Now, it would take entirely too long for me to try to comment on each of these eight, but I would encourage you to do so. Just open your Bible to the concordance at the back, flip to each of these eight words, write down every verse for each one of them, and then go through and read those verses carefully. It would be a very useful and effective discipline to do that simple thing with respect to those eight things. But let me point out one of these words particularly, and is this word godliness. This is particularly important because it means to be like God, not in the sense of his almighty power, knowledge, and control, but in the sense of his personality or character. Let me tell you a story to illustrate this. In the summer of 2014, I had the opportunity to check off my so-called bucket list, something that I'd always wanted to do, and that was to go hiking in the Canadian Rockies. So I did, and it was very cool, but that's not my point. The plan was that I would fly from there to Seattle, where my daughter Holly was living at the time, so that she would be coming back here with three young children and all of their luggage, and obviously it would be better for me to be with her, So that's how I wound up on an airplane flying from Calgary to Seattle. And on the airplane, it turned out that my seat was in the last row, and there were only two seats in the last row, and the other seat belonged to a young Canadian woman. She was very short, and she asked for my help in putting the bag in the overhead bin, which I should have thought of anyway, but at any rate, I did, and that simple act opened a conversation. Upon learning that I'm an American, she asked me two questions. I have no idea why these were her two questions. The first question was, what did I think of President Barack Obama? So I answered her question. No reaction. Then she asked me, what did I think of President Bill Clinton? I answered that question, too. No reaction until I said that I was troubled by his immorality. Then she virtually exploded and said, morality, come on, what is that? I mean, what is morality, really? I think it wasn't until that moment that I realized that the word morality means absolutely nothing to many people in our culture. It certainly, and probably more so to younger people, of course. As a child of the 1950s, morality was drilled into me, but not today. So I tried to answer a question, and I'm not sure how good an answer I gave her, but I've thought a great deal about it since then. You see, the word morality, if you look it up in an English dictionary, <clears throat> can mean a couple of different things. One thing it can mean is the simple subject matter of what is right and what is wrong behavior, but another interpretation of morality is simply conforming to the expectations of society. Well, Frankly, I don't care to conform to the expectations of society either. So what is the answer then? Well, here it is. Christian ethics is not based upon conformity to the expectations of society, nor is it based upon some seemingly arbitrary list of rules. Christian ethics is based upon the personality of God. We're told over and over again in Scripture To love, because God is love. To be merciful, because God is merciful. To forgive, because God forgives. To be faithful, because God is faithful. To be generous, because God is generous, etc., etc., etc. And ultimately, we are told to be holy, because God is holy. God has not given us some arbitrary list of rules. He calls us to reflect who he is and as his children to be like him. And he went so far as to give us his blessed son Jesus as an example of what that looks like. Another important thing to say about this, I think, is that we ought not to fall into the trap of trying to make lists of everything that is wrong. There's a great deal of that going on right now. And it's really a useless thing to do. People will always demand that you tell them why it was wrong, and then they won't accept the answer even if you give it correctly and accurately, no matter how many proof texts we come up with. No, that's not what we should be doing. We should be explaining what is right, because by definition, everything else is not. And what is right is that which is consistent with the character or the holiness of God. Now, I say this because patient endurance is one of those characteristics of God. Steadfastness as a character trait of God is something that there is a great deal of Scripture about. In fact, if you read through the entire book of Psalms, I think you'll see that the psalmists are constantly praising God for his steadfast love and his faithfulness. In fact, it probably wouldn't be going too far to say that this is the single most dominant thought in the book of Psalms. Or consider Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Now, there are many verses that deal with this idea of steadfastness or patient endurance. I was surprised personally as I began to look into this what a dominant Theme It is in the New Testament, and particularly in the writings of the apostles. Let's just consider a few of them quickly. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 says this, It is for discipline that you have to endure, God is treating you as sons. And at the end of the paragraph we read, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. At first, it seems difficult to view trials as a form of discipline, especially if if we clearly did not cause them. But this is what Scripture teaches. Not that things happen because of something we did or did not do, but that God uses these to work through all things. The NIV translation of Romans 8.28 puts it this way, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And it makes sense if you can grasp that God is working to reform our characters in order that we might better reflect his character. Like any other type of discipline, the sooner we learn to patiently endure, to persevere, to be steadfast, and to be faithful, the less discipline of trials will be required. But then again, it does seem that sometimes it takes an entire lifetime to learn this. At least that's my experience. When Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, it was their patient endurance which he wanted to praise them for. Consider 2 Thessalonians 1.4 where Paul writes, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Surely, Paul could have thought of many other things to praise the Thessalonian church for, but notice it was their steadfastness, their faith, and their endurance, which he says he boasted to other churches about. James writes in 1st chapter, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And then he also says in the 5th chapter, verses 10 and 11, And also, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfastness, steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And much more than that, the Lord himself spoke about this quality in the book of Revelation when he addresses the seven churches. To the church in Ephesus he says, "'I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance,' How you can, cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. That's Revelation 2, verses 2 and 3. And in verse 19 of that chapter, the Lord is addressing the church at Thyatira, and to them he says... I know your works, your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance. Lastly, after the so-called Heroes of the Faith chapter in Hebrews 11, where the author lists many terrible things that have been suffered by many believers, he summarizes by saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the author is reminding us that Jesus suffered far more than we ever have and ever will, and that we should set upon our eyes upon him and never forget this fact and always look to him as our example. And he's saying that life is like a race, and to win the race, we must cast aside every weight in sin which holds us down, and that includes letting things get to us. We must keep our eyes focused on the finish line which is Jesus himself, and he uses the suffering of Jesus as our example. <clears throat> now, I know it's hard to imagine looking at me today, but there was a time when I was a very fast runner. In fact, track was uh, the only sport I was ever any good at. But I competed in both high school and college. In uh, I was very fast in very short races. <laughs> and um, I won a lot of them and did reasonably well. And I remember one particular uh, track meet in high school. My primary event was the 220-yard dash. We ran yards in those days instead of meters and wore <clears throat> shoes with inch-long spikes and ran on cinder tracks, and I don't know why I'm telling you that. But nevertheless, I remember this particular race, and I knew, I knew because every sprinter knows you must never, ever take your eyes off the finish line, and you must never, ever look at the person next to you. But I could see out of the corner of my eye there was a guy in the lane right next to me, and I could tell that he was looking at me. And I knew I shouldn't have done it, but I took just a little glance at him. And he was grinning at me, and the kid had no teeth. I'd never seen a kid with no teeth before. And sure enough, I missed a half a step. He shot past me and beat me. And I have to wonder how many races he won in just that way. (laughs) But the point is, life is like that race. You do not take your eyes off the finish line. And that's patient endurance you see it's enduring the race it's focusing on the finish line it's not letting all the wind and the waves and the storms and the comments and all the things that are going on around you get in the way so in summary if we're calm and we learn to patiently endure then we can do the work of ministry by that i mean whatever has called called any one of us to do of caring for those in need without being distracted by emotions of anger or depression or despair or anything else. Think of a surgeon. If a surgeon walked into an operating room and burst into tears because of how bad the situation was, or started screaming and ranting and raving because of how horrible whatever happened to his patient was, he wouldn't be able to accomplish anything. He has to do a certain procedure and he has to do it correctly and he can't be distracted by anything else. In many ways, that's exactly the image which we're being given. Not to be distracted, but to focus on what it is that God has called us to do. So we have to focus on that task no matter what storm rages around us. Join me if you would in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for your word which is so rich and contains so much more we can understand I thank you that you care about us as your children that you want us to reflect who you are and that you are willing to do what it takes that we might reflect your personality your character we thank you that you are holy that you are righteous that you are pure that you are long-suffering that you care deeply about everyone and that you are so involved in our lives that you are working to bring about the character which you seek to bring about through the things that happen. For this, we thank you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen. End of sermon. Thank you for enduring it patiently, but before we go to praise, there's one other thing I'd like to say. As most of you know, Our church supports Children with Disabilities Fund International, or CDFI, which is a ministry to severely disabled children, primarily in two countries, Jamaica and Kenya. The situation in Kenya at this time is particularly bleak because these children who live a subsistence kind of thing with parents who literally sell peanuts or something on the street corner just to survive, have had all of that disrupted and are suffering malnourishment and starvation at this time. We're trying to address that problem through initiating an individual child sponsorship program. I hope that many of you would consider sponsoring one of these children After the service, I'll be up here with some material on individual children that need sponsors. If you'd be kind enough to take a look at it, we'd deeply appreciate it. I hope to do the same thing next week as well, so that if you want to take time to think and pray and talk about it afterwards, you'll have that opportunity next week as well. Thank you very much.